If you're visiting with us, I want to especially welcome you again. I uh, want to just say a couple things. We have some visitor cards in the back next to the box that says giving, and we'd love for you just to fill out one of those visitor cards and put it in there so that we can get to know you better and follow up with you, pray with you, uh, and just walk with you as you seek the Lord. Uh, we also just are uh, about to open up the Word of God, and we're in a, a series right now that is a little different than normal, but it's, it's a great time to come visit because we are going through our purpose statement over here, which just really looks at the DNA of, of what we seek to do as a church together, what our calling is as a body here at Redeemer Church. And so I hope that that's helpful to you as you visit and, and as you seek the Lord's will. We, we are glad you're here. We're praying for you and, and thankful that you're joining us today. Uh, before we open the word, let's pray one more time and just bring our needs to the Lord and, and ask him to meet us this morning. Father, we come to you. Uh, thank you so much that we uh, can call on you as our Father in heaven. You are in heaven. You are, you are great. You are transcendent. You are unlimited by all things. You, you are sovereign over our lives, and yet you are our Father who comes near to us and promises that you hear us when we call to you. And you teach us, Lord, to call on you to bring uh, every single one of our needs to you, to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. Jesus, you call us to bring our burdens to you and promise that you are gentle and lowly in heart and you promise us rest for our souls. Lord, thank you. Lord, we do bring our needs to you. We, we have needs in this body in terms of health, uh, whether it's those who are struggling with um, health that's either long-term or just temporary or those who are even working in hospitals and, and with sick patients. Lord, we, we just want to pray that you would sustain and heal and protect, Lord. We pray for our community and, and really our, our world, and we ask, Lord, that you would um, provide healing and, and put an end to the spread of this virus, and we pray you'd provide wisdom to those who are leaders, and we pray that you'd help them to lead with integrity and honesty and uprightness as your instruments, Lord, and we trust you are in control of all these things. Father, we pray for those who need financial provision, those who have been affected this year by uh, the COVID crisis and have maybe lost a job or had their hours cut or are looking for, for help with their children and child care or whatever it might be, Lord, we pray that you provide uh, for people's job needs and, and their financial needs. Lord, we thank you that you promised that you will give us all we need in this life to do your will. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to trust you in the ways that you provide our needs and the timing of your provision, Lord, help us to know that you see and that you care and that you hear. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling uh, this week, especially as we enter into Thanksgiving, uh, a, a wonderful time that's just fitting for us as believers to recognize that there is a God to give thanks to in this life. Lord, we know many around us don't recognize that, that, that you are the one who deserves thanks. Help us, Lord, as we enter into this week to give thanks to you continually. But we know that for, for many of us, it, there's, there's difficulties and sadness, whether it means we can't gather with family as normal, whether it's a reminder of, of loss that we've experienced, Lord. And we, we just want to pray that you would comfort this week and that you would make your presence uh, powerfully known and felt to those who are uh, who, who, just the holidays and Thanksgiving uh, may, may be a time of, of sadness for them. Lord, please comfort and encourage and let your presence be known. Father, we have sin in our lives. We thank you that you uh, promised us forgiveness. We've been able to rest in that today. Lord, now we, we want to pray that you would 
also cleanse us and sanctify us. Lord, we, we want to pray that you would bring us freedom from sin. Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to walk holy as you are holy. Help us to walk uh, according to your will that you've revealed to us. Help us to walk in the power of your Spirit who lives in us. Help us to know what it means that we have died and been crucified with Christ, and, and now we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Lord, help us to apply these things to our lives this week. Lord, help us to walk as your children, as lights in this world, honoring you in all that we do. Lord, help us to walk together as a church family in these things. We pray now that you would especially speak to us and meet these needs through your word, which we live by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Proverbs 27, verse 17 is the proverb that we're going to begin with this morning. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This, this verse, this proverb, tells us something about the way that God has designed us. God, God has made us for relationship with each other. As human beings, he's made us to be people that, that walk together and through one another's influence in our lives who sharpen each other. That, that, that means that, that we, we grow together, we mature together, we, we become more like who God has called us to be through one another. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. But, you know, I, I know in my life I've spent time with people where I think uh, probably mutually we had a dulling influence on each other. Uh, we, 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 were, we were not sharpening each other. We were, we, we, were, we were dulling each other's blades, so to speak, through our actions and behavior. So, so not just being together does not sharpen anybody. Right? There, there's, there's, there's activities that we actually give ourselves to to sharpen each other. And this, in this chapter, we see a few of what these are. In Proverbs 27, look up at verse 9. Proverbs 27, 9. What, what actually do we have to give ourselves to to sharpen each other? 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Have you ever had a friend like that? Someone who you know, they, they love you. They love you. They want your good, and, and, and they come to you, and they give you earnest counsel, encouragement, guidance. That, that's, a, that's a sharpening relationship, right? That's a sharpening friendship. That's the kind of relationship that we want that will make us better, mature us, grow us. Then there's another side to this. Look up a little further at verse 5, Proverbs 27 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you ever had a friend who wounded you, but you knew that it was in love, rebuked you, called you out, expressed their concern for you. And though it hurt, you knew this is their faithfulness. This is, this is coming from the same exact place that that earnest counsel came from. That's sharpening. That makes us better. Have someone that, that sees us and, and is concerned for us and, and loves us enough to not hide their love, but, but to come and rebuke us openly and wound us faithfully. These are the kinds of relationships we need that sharpen us, 
People who come to us and they encourage us and they give us guidance and counsel and those who see us wandering and rebuke us and call us back and make known their concern to us and correct us. Well, we are in a series, again, through our four pillars. Our purpose statement is over here on my right. Redeemer Church exists to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people through worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. So what this purpose statement means is that as we have been birthed as a church by the gospel of Jesus Christ, now our purpose as a church is to pursue glorifying God in everything we do. And as we pursue glorifying God in our lives, we also are pursuing the joy of everyone around us, whether it's in our homes or our neighborhoods or our church family or our workplaces. We are pursuing their joy in God's glory. And how are we doing that? We're doing it through worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. These are the activities that we give ourselves to. Discipleship, I've got it up here. Uh, the, the definition of discipleship is our commitment to train one another in faithful gospel application. This is what we mean by discipleship. We, we pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people through training each other in faithful gospel application. Follow that? We, we, we have committed ourselves to moving towards each other and helping each other to apply the gospel. That word discipleship, it, it, you hear the word disciple in there, right? So, so to talk about discipleship first means we talk about being a disciple. A disciple is a follower, a follower of someone, and we are followers of Jesus. But how does one become a follower of Jesus? We need to answer that before we do anything else this morning. How does one enter into a discipleship relationship of following Jesus? You know, it's not by trying to be good enough. It's not by trying to, to do everything that Jesus says us to do. It's first and foremost by coming to him and recognizing that we are sinners that we cannot be the kind of people that we are called to be, but that he came and he lived a sinless life. He never sinned. He never disobeyed his father. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. And now he says everyone who calls on him will be saved and will enter into this discipleship relationship with him. We, we become disciples through faith in Jesus. We become disciples through surrendering ourselves to Jesus, saying that we cannot save ourselves, but you have done it all through the cross and resurrection. We are sinners, but you are a savior, and we trust in what you've done for us. You become a disciple through coming to Jesus confessing your sins, turning away from them, and believing that he has paid for them through his death and resurrection. This begins a discipleship relationship with Jesus, where now you follow him as Lord of your life. You, you, you listen to his instructions, you seek to follow his commandments, but, but as one who has been saved, as one who is resting in his grace. Now, those who believe in Jesus, those who believe in the gospel, again, our definition says faithful gospel application. What does that mean? It means that we are helping each other live in light of the gospel. I mean, it means that we are helping each other see that, that this good news that we believe in, this message about Jesus that we put our faith in, this should affect every single aspect of your life. This affects every moment of every day, and we are helping each other to see all the ways that we are called to live out the gospel together. All the ways that we are called to reflect the gospel in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our worship, in our communities, in, in our loves, in our hobbies. All the ways that the gospel informs how we live our lives. This is discipleship. And this morning we're going to zero in on this one commitment that we make within this discipleship. So we're just zeroing in here to this commitment we renew once a month. I commit to give and receive Godly counsel and correction. 
I commit to give and receive godly counsel and correction. This is a commitment that we have made to each other as members of Redeemer Church. We've committed to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people by helping each other apply the gospel, and that entails coming to each other and, and giving counsel to each other and correction to each other in our lives. So this morning we're going to look at this commitment, and we're going to see five principles for giving and receiving godly counsel and correction. And I've got this morning, uh, Brody, I've got points on here and verses on here, so we're not flipping around so much. And so five principles for giving and receiving godly counsel and correction. I want us to see this morning that this is a biblical instruction we've been given, that this is, this is something that we are called to walk out together, and that God's Word gives us, gives us so much resources to help us walk this out together. So first principle, every believer is instructed to give godly counsel and correction. Every believer is instructed to give godly counsel and correction. You know, I think it's easy to ask the question, isn't this the work of pastors? Aren't pastors the ones that are supposed to give counsel and correction to church members? Well, first I'd say, yes, pastors are supposed to give godly counsel and correction. 1 Timothy 4.2 tells us this. 1 Timothy 4.2 says, I think it's up here on the screen. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So, so this is a call to a pastor from Paul to Timothy, and he says, preach the word, and as you preach the word, what are you doing? You're reproving, you're rebuking, you're exhorting, you're taking what the word says, and then you're applying it through counsel and correction to the people you're preaching to. That, this is a pastor's calling, this is an elder's calling, this is what Ben and Joey and I long to do, is to, is to apply the word to your life with counsel and correction so that you can follow Christ faithfully. So yes, pastors are called to this. But it's not just pastors that are called to this. This is not solely the job of pastors and elders. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. We looked at Ephesians this past year. We saw this passage a few months ago, but let's revisit it now. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 gives pastors a job to do. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So not only are pastors and elders called to preach and teach the word and to counsel and correct, but we're also called to equip the believers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We're called to equip the church to do ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And what is that ministry that we're called to equip you to do? Verse 15, Ephesians 4 verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is the ministry that every single believer is called to be equipped in. To speak the truth in love to each other. To speak the truth in love to each other. And one more passage to look at here is Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Shows that this is the responsibility of every single believer. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's to all believers. Teach and admonish each other in wisdom. That is your calling. That is our calling. Not just for pastors, not just for some Christians. Every believer is instructed to be someone who teaches and admonishes other believers, who, who counsels and corrects other believers. This is an instruction that Jesus has gave, given you. 
believer, if you are following Christ, then Jesus is calling you today, give godly counsel and correction to others. This is sin to not do it in that case. Jesus has instructed us to do it. We must do it as we follow him. Well, why? Why has Jesus given us this instruction? Why, why is this our calling? And it's because of the second principle. Every believer needs godly counsel and correction. We are all called to give godly counsel and correction because every one of us needs it. We all need it. Ephesians 4, back to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I think it's going to be very small up there, so you might want to turn to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Again, this passage talking about the ministry of the church. He, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part of the working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see what's happening over and over again. I'm talking about growth, maturity, being built up, becoming like Christ through the ministry of speaking the truth in love to each other. Mature manhood. Verse 14, so that we would not be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Why, why does God call us to give counsel and instruction to each other? Because we are immature in our faith. Left to ourselves, we are immature. We are like children being tossed about in an ocean with no way of navigating it. We, 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 are, we are small, we are weak, and we cannot mature. You cannot mature without other believers speaking counsel and correction into your life. You will not mature without other believers speaking counsel and correction into your life. You will, you will stay a small, fragile, infant Christian in danger of the ways around you if you do not receive counsel and correction from others. There is not a mature Christian out there who has gotten there alone. No believers ever matured by themselves. That's impossible. We need counsel and correction. One other passage that shows our need is Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is probably the most important text that we're looking at this morning. If we miss this, we're probably going to just miss the whole thing. Why do we need godly counsel and correction? And the answer is the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us. Sin lies to us. Sin tricks us, and we follow it. We, we listen to our sinful desires, and we are hardened by our sinful desires. And, and the whole point here, church, is that we're being deceived, so we don't know it. We don't know when sin is deceiving us. We don't know when sin is, is causing us to go the wrong way. We can't see it because we're the ones being deceived. We're blind to it. We need someone else to look from the outside at our lives and say, 
You are going the wrong direction and you don't even know it. And to exhort us and to say, don't listen to your sin. Don't be blinded by your sin. Listen to Christ. Listen to his word. And if we don't have someone coming to us and speaking that to us, we, might, we may think we're doing well when we're actually going the wrong direction and putting our souls in danger. We need godly counsel and correction because none of us is immune to the deceitfulness of sin. You know, I've seen several times as a pastor believers who we warned as elders about sin in their lives and going the wrong direction. And several times the response has been, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. We are not going the wrong direction. We're okay. Nothing's wrong with us. And every time that's happened, they've gone exactly the way that we thought they would. And listen, as I've thought through that and, and processed that, what, what, what have I learned from that? Not that I'm any different than they are. Not that I'm any, any less prone to that than they are. I, I'm exactly as prone to that as they are. We all have itching ears that hear what we want to hear. And we need someone else coming to us and helping us see how sin is deceiving us if we're not going to go the wrong direction. And so I've committed myself, if someone ever comes to me, if the elders ever come to me, if a brother ever comes to me and says, says, Phil, I see this in your life, you're going the wrong way, even if I don't see it, I am committed to say, okay, I trust you, I believe you, I don't even see it, but I'm going to search it out because, because sin deceives me. And I'm going to trust others that they can see me better than I can see myself. Otherwise, I'm going to fall into sin. I'm going to be deceived by it, hardened by it, go the wrong way, and be in danger of not holding my original confidence firm to the end. Church, you know, I mean, we sing the song, Come Thou Fountain of Every Blessing. And what are we sing in that verse? It's one of those lyrics that I feel like every believer just resonates with. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. If you're a believer, you've sung that, don't you resonate with that lyric? You resonate with it. Why? Because we know it's true. We know that we're prone to wander. We know that, that our heart goes astray. If you believe that about yourself, then, then you need to believe this, that you need someone to come to you, and he says every day, as long as it's called today, to exhort you from the outside to come to you and exhort you and say, stay on the right path. We cannot shut ourselves out from other believers if we really believe that we are prone to wander. And so we are all called to give godly counsel and correction because we all need godly counsel and correction. Well, with those foundations, what are we supposed to say in these moments? What, what, what do we say to each other when, when, when we need to give counsel and correction? This leads to the third principle. Scripture is the source of godly counsel and correction. We don't come to each other with our own wisdom. We don't come to each other with our own insight. We don't come to each other with worldly advice. We come to each other with the word of God. Again, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Now, what does this mean? We often have taken this to mean, maybe you're guilty of this, is, is this is really just a way to, to talk about having an uncomfortable conversation. You know, at one point in my uh, life, I, I grew a mustache. It's not intentional. I thought I was growing a beard, but it just looked like a mustache. I didn't know it. And, you know, someone needed to speak the truth and love to me, right? Say, the mustache isn't working, Phil. 
So that's not what this actually means. It's not just talking about an, an uncomfortable conversation. We take it that way, but, but when Paul says the truth, he's not just talking about speaking honestly with each other, though he would commend that, and I would be thankful for that in that case. But what he's actually speaking of is the gospel, the word of Christ. When he says the truth, it's, he, he's talking about the message of Jesus, the good news. He's saying speak the gospel in love to each other. Speak the words of Christ to each other. And we see this confirmed again in Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. The teaching and admonishing is happening in the context of the word of Christ coming to you and dwelling in us as a body so that we have words to speak to each other that are not our own. We're speaking the words of God to each other, the words of the gospel to each other. We are called to speak the scripture to each other, which means that we must be just immersed in the scripture. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they pointed out to me that we are always giving counsel to each other. It just might not be good counsel. But we are, we are always sharing with each other. We are always giving guidance. We're always giving our thoughts and, and instruction. But, but what comes out of you when you're talking to others? What pours out of you? Do you know the Bible, and are you immersed in Scripture, and are, are you understand the Gospel well enough that, that you can apply it with wisdom to others' lives? And you can, you can teach with the Word of Christ and admonish with the Word of Christ to someone else. Speak the Gospel truth in love to them. Scripture is the source of godly counsel and correction. Fourth, how do we go about doing this? Not, not what do we say, but how do we do it? Fourth, love is the manner for giving godly counsel and correction. Love is the manner for giving godly counsel and correction. Again, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. In love. Now, Candace jokes about how she, you know, Candace used to be very fiery, and uh, she, she would tell you how, how it is. And, uh, you know, she used to inter interpret this, paraphrase it as, love them by speaking the truth. Just just tell as is you're loving them, and, 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 and no, no gentleness needed, right? We've grown together in that, but speaking the truth in love. We come with counsel and correction in a spirit of love and a spirit of desiring one another's highest good. So a few passages I want to look at here that help us kind of define what this looks like a little more closely. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. What does, it, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? How do we do that well? Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, with the measure that you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so the first thing we need to realize when we want to speak the truth in love to someone else, when we want to come with counsel and correction to someone else, is that we need to stop first and look at ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. We need to realize that, that we've got these, these huge protruding logs coming out of our eyes. We're trying to take the speck out of someone. We're just going to hammer them over the head, right, with our log coming out. If we don't stop and, and, and look and see what sins do I need to repent of? What sins that am I aware of that I need to ask for forgiveness for and, and remove so that I can see more clearly to help my brother? If we don't do that, then we, then we are prone to come in a spirit of judgmentalism. We're prone to come in a spirit of saying that I'm better than you. I've figured this out. I'm not a sinner. You are. We come as saviors to sinners 
when really we need to come as sinners to sinners. We need to come as one sinner to another, knowing that we are just as prone to sin as you are, and we see it in ourselves, but we have hope in Jesus, and we are coming to help you see Jesus as well. And so we, we need to have self-examination if we're going to speak the truth in love. Second, Galatians 6, 1. Galatians 6, 1. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. We must be gentle with each other when we come to correct each other. He's speaking specifically here of someone that's entangled in sin, someone that's trapped in sin. They, they are being deceived by their sin. And, and we are called, as we know, to come to them and exhort them. But we do that with gentleness. We do that knowing that we must be tender, and we must be kind, and we must be compassionate. We must be like Jesus, who, who spoke in such a way that though the religious hypocrites did not want to, anything to do with him, sinners felt like they could come to him. Sinners were drawn to Jesus because he knew that he would not condemn them and drive them out, but he would welcome them and he would not, he would not break a bruised reed. He says, I'm gentle and lowly. And we're called to be gentle with one another to let people know that we are safe and that we understand and that we have compassion. So we must examine ourselves. We must take on a spirit of gentleness. Again, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom. We need wisdom for this. We need wisdom to know how the word of Christ, how the scriptures applies to someone's specific situation. You know, when you talk about Bible study, a good principle is to understand that that every passage has one meaning, but has hundreds of applications. Every passage means one thing, but it can apply in so many different ways to different people in different situations at different times. And we need wisdom if we're going to come to someone and give them counsel and correction. And, and on this point, I just want to say that that means we need to be praying. If you're going to speak the truth and love to someone, you must be praying about that. Don't, don't just come and say the first thing that you think about a situation. Pray about it. Search the word yourself. Pray for them. And ask for wisdom from the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Notice there, not everyone is in the same category. There's the idle, there's the weak, there's the faint-hearted. And part of speaking, counsel, and correction to each other is, is, is discerning what kind of situation is this person in. The last thing you want to do is come to someone and drop the hammer on them when they need comfort. And you don't want to come and comfort someone who needs rebuke. But it takes discerning what's happening in their lives, which takes relationship, which takes knowing. Again, it takes prayer. You can't speak the truth and love to someone without, without being able to discern what is actually going on. So we must discern what's actually happening to do it. And just, again, on that verse, again, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we must wait patiently before the Lord. He says, with all patience, with all patience, with, with, with every one of those people, this work of speaking the truth in love requires patience. It requires coming before the Lord and knowing that His work is often slow. His work often doesn't happen in one conversation. His work often requires walking with someone 
through something. We need patience with one another and patience before the Lord. Speak the truth and love to each other. We are all called to this. We all need this. We do it with the word of God. We do it in love. But I want to ask, if Scripture speaks so clearly and consistently about these things, then why don't we do this more? Why don't we do this more? And this leads to the final principle. The gospel frees us to give and receive godly counsel and correction. The gospel frees us to give and receive godly counsel and correction. We don't do this more because we are trapped by sin in both these areas. You know, think about receiving godly counsel. We have one great enemy that keeps us from receiving godly counsel and correction. It's our pride. Our pride keeps us from receiving godly counsel and correction. Pride causes us to believe that we are self-sufficient. It causes us to believe that we are independent, that we don't need anybody else. Pride makes us rise up and defend ourselves to others when someone comes with any sort of accusation. Pride rejects the input and counsel of someone else. And so pride keeps us from receiving godly counsel and correction. But the cross of Christ can give you freedom from sinful pride. Look at Hebrews 4 with me. Turn your, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. How does the cross free us from pride? Hebrews 4, starting in verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So what the gospel does first is the gospel exposes us for who we really are. We, we, we hide in our pride who we really are, what's happening in our hearts. We, we want to hide that. We don't want to face it. But the gospel comes to us living, active, sharp, discerning, and it exposes us before God. We, we, we are, are naked before him, and he is our judge. And he sees all of our sins. He sees all of our idols. He sees every single thought. And it humbles us. The gospel humbles us to realize that we are we are more sinful than we ever knew. But then look, look what he says next. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is what we were saying about earlier, isn't it? God is the judge of the secrets of our hearts, but he is a safe place through Christ. He, we, are, we are naked and exposed before him. We, our, our sin is just laid bare before him, but he has given his son, Jesus, who died in our place and who understands our sin and who is enthroned and calls us to come to his throne of grace and receive mercy to, to help us in our sin. So, so, so yes, the gospel shows us that we're more sinful than we ever knew, but also shows us that we are, we are embraced by God. And we are, we are loved 
And we are secure and safe in him. Which means that no one can ever say anything to you that even gets close to what's actually true about you. No no one's ever going to say something as bad about you as what you really are. And yet the Lord, who sees it all, has embraced you and accepted you and loves you and forgives you and helps you. And and this, this should crush our pride because on the one hand we see how we we really are, but we also know that we don't need to defend ourselves to anybody. The God of the universe has embraced us and loves us and will never cast us out. And so if you don't receive godly counsel and correction from others, it's because you need to repent of the pride that keeps you from it. You need to repent of the pride where, where you are pretending you are better than you are. And you're not letting the gospel leave you exposed. You're not believing that God accepts you and that his acceptance is enough. Repent of the pride that keeps you from receiving godly counsel and correction this morning. On the flip side of the coin, we we have one great enemy that keeps us from giving godly counsel and correction. This is our fear of man. Our fear of man. Now, the phrase fear of man doesn't mean that we're afraid of someone like I might be afraid of Darth Vader if he appeared in my room one night. That's not what we're talking about. Fear of man means that we fear others' estimation of us. We fear what they think of us. We, we desire their approval of us. We desire their acceptance. We, we, we desire it so much that it becomes the ruling reality of our hearts and of our relationships. Fear of man means that I need you to accept me. I need you to love me. I need you to approve of me. We, we, we idolize others. That's what fear of man is. And the fear of man will not risk rejection. The fear of man will not put yourself out there in a way that someone might then reject you and push you away and not approve of you. When the fear of man rules us, we will love others, but only to the point that we don't risk their love for us. You realize how we, well, I'll love you, but as long as my love for you doesn't risk that you're going to love me back. And that's not love. That is selfishness. That, 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 is, that is a self-centered relationship. That's, that's what the proverb talks about. Hidden love is someone who won't love you because they're too afraid of what you're going to think if they love you well and rebuke you. And so fear of man keeps us from moving toward each other and putting ourselves out there at the risk of upsetting or getting rejected or having conflict. We, we don't do it because we, we, we need each other's acceptance. We need each other's approval. We need each other's love. And only the cross of Christ can free us from the fear of man. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is speaking to a church that has essentially decided that they don't want him to be their spiritual influencer and their pastor, and, and, and they, they think Paul is, is this, this weak apostle that doesn't have anything to offer them, and Paul's defending his ministry to them, but not the way we would think. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul, Paul immediately begins by saying, we, we are fearing God, not man. We, we, we are living for him. We're living for his approval, living for his pleasure. Therefore, we speak to others. What we are is known to God. He knows our hearts. He knows our consciences. I hope it's also known to you. Verse 12, we're not commending ourselves to you again, 
but we're giving you cause to boast about us, that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what's in the heart. And then listen, if, if we're beside ourselves, if you think we're crazy, if you think that, that we're off the wall, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Either way, we're going to speak the truth to you. Why? Where is this rooted? Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Where does Paul get the power to put himself out there and speak the truth of the gospel to those who are going to reject him and make fun of him and think he's crazy? He says the love of Christ controls us. He died for us. He lives. He lives so that we who live will live not for ourselves, but for him. We're aiming to please him, and his love is enough for us. I don't need your approval. I don't need your acceptance. I don't need anything from you because Christ is everything to me. That's what Paul's saying. Christ, his love is completely satisfying. And so if you accept me, wonderful. If you reject me, the Lord knows and I still have his love through the gospel. And so it breaks the fear of man. And it enables us to move toward each other and give counsel and correction even when it's hard. Even when we, when we risk rejection, when we risk misunderstanding, when we, when we risk this relationship somehow being affected, we know the love of Christ is controlling us. The fear of the Lord is controlling us. He has died for me. I am his forever and I'm safe in him. And so if you don't give godly counsel and correction, then this morning repent of the fear of man. Repent of needing each other too much instead of resting in the love of Christ and loving each other well. Repent of fearing man, not the Lord. Repent of the love of Christ, not controlling your relationships. And in both these areas, let's, let's renew our commitment to give and receive godly counsel and correction. Just a couple practical ways to grow in this church, to grow in, in this giving and receiving of counsel and correction. First, just deepen your relationships. Deepen your relationships. This can't happen outside of deep friendship. This can't happen outside of knowing each other. And that takes time, and that takes investment, and it takes commitment, and it takes sacrifice. Maybe the best way to do this is, to, is just to commit to a discipleship group. And, and when you do that, to, to, to understand this is, this is what this is for. This is the context where others will know me and I will know them and we can give each other counsel and correction. So if you're not part of one or if you are part of one but, but, but you're not committing yourself to it, deepen those relationships. Second, ask others for counsel. When you face difficulty in your life, just, just, just invite that from others. Ask them, what, what do you think I should do? Ask others for counsel when you face any sort of difficulty in your life. Parenting, marriage, sin, financial difficulty, whatever it might be, ask each other for counsel. On the flip side of that, invite accountability from others in your life. It, it, how much would it help you to give someone correction if they've already said to you, if you see something in my life, please correct it. Invite that. Let people know that you want that. Let people know that you're aware of your proneness to wander and say, I need you to help me. 
do that with a few people. And, and then finally, equip yourself. Equip yourself with good resources. Uh, first and foremost, again, with scripture, which is what we bring to each other. But resources like books and classes, our counseling class that we're doing. There's books on the back table that talk about anxiety, anger, uh, depression. It, read those. Equip yourself so that you are better able to minister to each other. See yourself as someone who is a minister of the word of Christ to others. Whoever you are, you're called to speak the truth in love. So equip yourself to do that. So as we close, I just want to ask, are you somebody who sharpens others, and are you somebody who allows yourself to be sharpened? Do you have iron sharpening iron sort of relationships in your life? Let's renew our commitment to that together. Pray with me and asking the Lord to help us live this out.